0: Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast, where we chat with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Yvonne Winget Sanchez, and I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic.
1: And I'm Ron Hansen, also a national reporter for the Republic.
0: In today's episode, we're breaking down the state budget.
1: Just days before the constitutional deadline, lawmakers were working to pass a state budget. Why did it take so long? And where does the flat tax proposal by Governor Doug Ducey stand now?
0: And what else is in this thing? We're also going to dive into the school voucher proposal. What does that mean? And could we see this issue come back yet again? Joining us first is Mary Jo Pitzel. She has been very diligently covering the state legislature as of late. Thanks for coming on, Mary Jo. Happy to do it.
1: Mary Jo, give us a brief background of why this took so long to settle. What was happening down at the state legislature that created so much delay on the budget this year?
2: Well, a lot of surplus money means that there's a lot to fight over, and we've always seen that when there's excess money, legislative sessions seem to take longer. Estimates on the surplus range from two to four billion dollars. The numbers are very fluid; um, depends who you talk to, but they also depend somewhat heavily on the COVID relief money. So a lot of money is the first issue. Secondly, there was a delay because two Republicans objected to the original plan. Since this is a budget that the GOP leadership was intent on doing with Republican votes only, and given that they have only a one vote margin in each chamber, these two Republicans, Senator Paul Boyer and Representative David Cook, were pivotal. They both had concerns about what the budget and the amount of the tax cut would do to harm the money shared with cities and towns. They also thought that more debt should be eliminated since the state has so much extra money. The tax cut proposal initially was about $1.9 billion. It's come down to about $1.3 billion. Uh, that's, uh, so they trimmed out a little more than a half million, half billion dollars from it. You had five-week negotiation that included several false starts, a Hawaii vacation for the Senate president, other vacations. And then last Tuesday, the Democrats had a boycott uh, that enraged the GOP leadership, and it led to debate limits when they finally got to work Thursday on the budget. The whole 11-bill package should be final this week. Uh, it's got to be because the deadline is June 30th, and work is continuing early in the week.
1: This was a rather fluid process. Uh, This budget evolved over the course of the session. Give us a sense of what that was like.
2: When the budget was introduced in mid-May, it was about $12.3 billion. At the end of the day, we're looking at a budget that is uh, almost a billion dollars more. So there was more spending added, but most significantly, there was a lot of debt reduction that was done. This budget will pay off the debt. Remember when the state sold state buildings back during the the Great Recession? This will uh, aim to retire that debt. It retires the debt from the state lottery. It retires, it puts a a bunch of money into getting rid of the uh, DPS public safety pension fund debt. That's where most of the big change in the budget came is putting more of the money into debt relief And taking that out of the amount of the tax cut.
0: As part of this, as you mentioned, is uh, the debate, discussion, some angst about the governor's proposed flat tax, which isn't really a flat tax, but is a tax cut the Senate passed this uh, provision along party lines. Give our listeners uh, sort of a quick rundown for what this means for their pocketbook. And what are some of the real dramatic effects we'll see uh, with this, if at all? I
2: mean, I know a lot of this just depends on what tax bracket you're in, right? Right. Uh, yeah, don't go out and um, you know plan on buying that new car yet. Um, Everybody will get a tax cut as the proponents of this plan love to say, but the savings vary widely and the biggest benefit goes to the highest earners. So, for example, the lowest income brackets will get a savings of about four dollars a year on their income tax Um, for income up to seventy five thousand dollars, a savings of ninety six dollars. If you have a million dollar income, pretty substantial savings of $12,100. That's what happens when you go to a single rate of 2.5%. The lowest rate currently is 2.59%, but the top rate is 8%. So obviously the people at the top um, are gonna benefit the most. Another benefit of this plan, um, as the proponents would say, is that this will propel the economy. It will keep Arizona competitive with surrounding states. In fact, at a 2.5% flat rate, Arizona would have the lowest rate, except for states like Texas and Nevada, who don't even have an income tax. This is pretty much trickle-down theory, saying, you know, we will do things that will attract business and attract high earners to our state, and that will bring about more jobs, and that will benefit all. Some other effects, though, of the tax cut is that there's less money for Proposition 208, the education funding plan that voters approved last year. Uh, That's going to take away some of the money from that because of a somewhat complicated uh, addition to the, to the budget plan. Democrats specifically say that the budget plan means less money for state programs, such as road construction or the environment. Every year they say, you know, we're told there isn't enough money for this or that. And then here we are with a flush year and much of that money is being put to a tax cut.
1: Mary Jo, State Treasurer Doug Ducey uh, ran on a campaign in 2014 uh, promising to reduce taxes as close to zero as possible, as he liked to put it. Uh, this tax cut is unlike the others that we've seen throughout the Ducey years. Uh, this is this is the big one, it seems Uh What does this mean for him and for his legacy as Arizona governor? How does this help him politically, perhaps? And and what will it mean for the state's finances into the future?
2: I think, well, first of all, he can say, look, I made a promise and um, I've stuck to it. I mean, obviously not literally we're not down to zero, but there is another uh, there's another year left in his term. Um, He gets great bragging rights from this when he came into office. He faced a $1 billion deficit with some of the hangover from the Great Recession. That $1 billion deficit has now been erased. And voila, today we are looking at a $1 billion tax cut. That's a pretty potent talking point when you're out there trying to talk about your achievements as governor.
0: Give us a sense of some of the other provisions, big and small, in this budget that um, we might not know much about because uh, there's always little goodies tucked in those things.
2: Um, just real broadly, what, what else is in there? Oh, my goodness. Um, there's there's pay raises. There is money for, for some road uh, projects. There's about $50 million in increased funding for special education, which is a big boost in that area. But there's all these things that have come in really in the last week or two as the budget was coming together, such as, remember the critical race theory debate? That idea was killed in the um, Senate a couple weeks ago. Well, it's back in a somewhat amended form, but it will limit and, and threaten to punish school districts and schools if they have a curriculum that elevates one ethnic group, race, or sex as better than any other. Judy Burgess got a proposal tucked into the House budget on uh, just last week uh, that would promote civics with a sort of, let's going to teach people that communism is bad, totalitarianism is bad. We want to hold up democracy. And it would direct some money to the freedom schools at ASU and U of A, as well as the Sandra Day O'Connor Institute to create a a civics curriculum. Not sure if that one's going to go through. Um, oh, what other kinds of, lots of COVID restrictions were tucked into the budget. So school boards can't require uh, face masks. Universities and community colleges cannot require a vaccine for students or staff as a condition of attendance. Uh, business owners um, must provide a reasonable accommodation for employees who, say, for religious beliefs cannot, uh, will not take the COVID vaccine. So lots of, lots of legislative, uh, footprint on what can happen with COVID. The list goes on and on. (laughs) All
0: right, Mary Jo. Well, we know where to find you on Twitter because we watch your tweets uh, voraciously. Where can our listeners find you if uh, they want to see what you're up to?
2: Sure. I'm at Mary J. Pitzel, P-I-T-Z-L.
0: Joining us now to talk about the state's school voucher style proposal is investigative reporter Rob Odell. Thanks for joining us, Rob.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: In February, the state Senate approved an expansion to Arizona's school voucher style program. This is a program that essentially lets parents take the money that would have otherwise gone into their public school district and use it for private school tuition, curriculum. And therapies. This is called the Empowerment Scholarship Account Program. However, two years ago, voters repealed a similar expansion. Rob, how did this program get tied to the budget? We sort of see this happen every now and again. What's the iteration this year?
3: So, what they were trying to do—it's uh, it, kind of a power move to try to force uh, holdout Republicans to vote for this. What happened was the Senate passed it in February. Um, the, it never it never came up for a vote in the house because they didn't have the votes and this was a way to sort of uh you know like like i said a, a power move to to force to hold out republicans to either vote against the budget or and, and get them to vote for this but ultimately it didn't work um uh and and i think it was a pretty big defeat for the governor and and school choice advocates i mean normally you know I, i've had lobbyists tell me the governor usually gets what they want and um, and in this case, they didn't, because I think the holdout Republicans either had a, had a problem with how big the expansion was or for some of the more moderate legis- legislators, they were, you know, they were scared of voters in their district who aren't who are much more moderate than the rest of the Republicans.
1: Give us a sense, Rob, of what this latest expansion proposal would have done. Uh, what were the provisions of this? Uh, really what it would have done would have massively expanded it.
3: I mean, voters repealed an expansion two years ago that would have allowed all students to apply, but it would have had some strict caps on how many students would have been able to use it. This one kind of, uh, all students weren't, wouldn't be able to use it, but about 70% would have. So it was even larger than what voters repealed. Um, and so it, it it just was an expansion to let more people in to ease a lot of the rules, um, ease what you could spend on. If you misspent money, you'd get the money back instead of forfeiting it. Um, you know, just a lot. It, 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 you know, it was a, a like a Pandora's box. Everything that uh, a, a school choice lobbyist would have wanted was in this bill. Um, so it was just a, it was just basically a massive expansion of, of vouchers.
1: Okay, so you categorize this as a defeat for these Republican lawmakers. Seems like we've seen this before. If they have lost on this with voters previously and and failed to expand this program previously, why was it back again?
3: Um, I mean, because it's just pretty clear that the legislators don't care what the voters pass. I mean, and this isn't the only example. I mean, we've the, the legislature just passed a, a flat tax that basically, um, you know, guts a lot of what Prop 208, uh, you know, the, the sales tax on the rich to fund education of, of what that did. This is just another example. And so um, I, I just think that they, the, the Republican legislators want to do what they want to do and whatever the voters said, they don't really care, to be honest.
0: Give us a sense of whether or not you think we'll see the Republicans try to bring back a voucher style expansion bill in the future. I mean, it seems to me that they really have really sort of um, cemented this issue as the issue that they want to sort of go for broke on um, before Ducey's term is over and before the makeup of the legislature um, potentially changes and the governor's office do you do you think we'll see this this sort of effort again
3: i think you're going to see this this effort till it passes and even if this one passed i think they would come back with even more um as long as the republicans are the majority in the legislature i think you will see this every year i think you're going to see a fight over this at the at, at in the legislature and at the ballot box and potentially in the courts um because it's just clear that this is something that's near and dear to their heart and they want. And, um, you know, until the composition of the legislature changes, I mean, I guess you could have a bunch of moderate Republicans get elected and then maybe it wouldn't come back in this form, but you would still, it would still be up for debate. Um, and if you had, if you had Democrats have the majority, obviously then it would be different, but until you see something like that, I think you're going to see this every year.
1: All right. Well, Rob, thank you for joining us and explaining the ESA program to us once again. We appreciate it. If listeners want to follow you uh, on Twitter, where can they find you? Uh, I'm at Rob O'Dell-A-Z, and thank you for having me. All
0: right, listeners, let's dive into some afterthoughts. After the 2020 election, uh, Democrats in particular seemed pretty overjoyed that they had really sort of narrowed the gap, narrowed um, the number of seats they needed to potentially take control at some point in the near future. And along with that, I think there was some sort of presumption that there was going to be some moderation down at the State House. And I think this budget is probably a reflection of the exact opposite, where Republicans lost some seats. But in doing so, they also became much more conservative. Right, Ron?
1: Yeah. So I think this is something that we discussed back in November. It was a, a point that seemed to be lost on, I, I think, many on the left. I don't think this was missed by uh, Republican voters who Frankly, may have been okay to, uh, you know, just uh, deal with a smaller caucus that is more united on the core issues they really care about, and and this is the harvest from that that election. What we've seen is that Republicans really uh, remain very conservative and very determined to um, proceed with budgeting matters and legislative matters without a heck of a lot of Democratic input. And this is a trend we've seen for some time. This is not a new game, of course, but it really came, I think, into stark relief for folks who might have expected a different day. Uh, And uh, Yvonne, sort of relatedly, I wanted to ask you uh, something, because we saw uh, voters um, take up uh, the idea of how they wanted to tax wealthy taxpayers in this state and Then we also have seen voters, as you have covered previously on the voucher style program, weigh in on this uh, as well. They didn't want that kind of program uh, expanded dramatically. And yet both of these kinds of concepts were undermined by this Republican legislature, this session, uh, with the apparent acquiescence of the governor, at least in part. Give us a sense of what is driving that. And, you know, should we expect that to continue?
0: Sure. I tend to agree agree with Rob. It will continue for as long as Republicans have the numbers to try to make it continue. I think uh, what Republicans likely see is, um, as the rest of us do, is the coming demographic changes that are going to fundamentally reshape this state. And there is a narrow window for Republicans to really sort of push um, their... Policies, and uh, this is part of the the whole concept of going for broke, as you know, as frequently as often as you can. This is Ducey um, and his allies down at the state house, really sort of making good on this promise that we've been hearing since 2013 to try to um, bring income. Taxes uh, to as close to zero as possible. It gives Ducey this huge talking point that we will be hearing, I'm sure, for another ten years as he sorts out his sort of um, political future. And it also gives his his allies who have aspirations of their own. Right, TJ Shope, for example, JD Mesnard. These are young Republicans who. Will probably have a future for quite a quite a while. I mean, they're they're looking at their own uh, political aspirations as well. When it comes to the school voucher issue and and issues like like that, that is a an issue that is very important to libertarians. It's very important to the donor class. Arizona is seen um, as a model of sorts uh, with uh, school choice programs like this. Um, Arizona has been at the forefront of um, this sort of model for decades now, and uh, clearly Republicans are not giving up on trying to expand or sort of rethink how uh, they can alter uh, this program and others like it. Um, So expect to see that uh, for years to come. They're going to try to get as much work done as they possibly can um, because Democrats might soon being controlled and the script will flip dramatically and uh, maybe Republicans at some point will be upset that they did not get adequate uh, input in the budget. We will see.
1: That is it for today, Gaggle listeners. While we still have you, please don't forget to rate and review our show and share it with a friend. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N.
0: And I'm at Yvonne Winget. Today's episode was edited and produced by Amanda Luberto. Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com.
1: And also, be sure to check out Valley 101, an Arizona Republic and azcentral.com podcast that answers all your questions about the Valley. From silly to serious, you ask the questions and we find the answers. For The Gaggle, I'm Ron Hanson. We'll see you next week.